Coming to you live from the country of Genovia, it's the Movie Change Up Podcast, where each week two people go head-to-head pitching movie reboots. And this is the premiere of Season 3. If you've seen Season 1 or Season 2, uh, we've, changed up, we've changed up the format a little bit. Normally in the past, we'd have seven movies and seven rules, or five movies and five rules. And uh, we decided, you know what, our podcasts have been too long, we're trying to gain a following here, and we feel the best way to do that is to shorten the length of the episode. So how the show works from now on is there's three movies and uh, four rules. Uh, what's with the extra rule? Basically, uh, the contestants have to determine which rule they want to use on all three movies. Uh, the other rules they only would use once. And so uh, one person might use one rule for all three movies. The other person might use a different rule for all three movies. It all kind of just depends on what they think will work. Uh, each episode, we kind of have a different theme, and since Johnny and Tristan have a new podcast coming out that they're doing called the Unbearable Podcast of Nick Cage's Massive Talent, uh, inspired by his new movie coming out where Nicolas Cage is playing himself, uh, they're kind of going over and talking about Nicolas Cage's history as an actor and as a performer, so that'll be really fun, and so we decided, hey... All of these rules are going to be Nicolas Cage related. Uh, If you're watching this on video, you can probably see that on the right. And I'll talk about those later for those people listening on the audio only version of this. And all of the movies we decided because, hey, for anyone that doesn't know, Nicolas Cage is part of the Coppola family. He was actually born Nicolas Coppola and uh, changed his last name because he wanted to get acting work on his own and not because of his last name. And so, uh, before I introduce the contestants, I'll read the movies and the rules. And so, our first movie of the day is The Outsiders from 1983. That was directed by Francis Ford Coppola and uh, had a small role by Sofia Coppola. We have The Princess Diaries, uh, which starred, uh, I believe, Delia Shire's son. So, that would be Nicolas Cage's cousin uh, in one of the kind of secondary roles. And then we also have the movie Prophecy from 1979. And that uh, starred Talia Shire, uh, Nicolas Cage's aunt. So that's kind of the connection there. And then our four rules that our contestants are using today. Uh, Rule number one, Nicolas Cage must play two separate roles in your movie. Rule number two, uh, Nicolas Cage must reprise a role that he made famous. Number three, uh, your movie must be released in 1996, which is the year Nicolas Cage won his first Oscar. Um, and so if you're unfamiliar with our setup, basically that means you have to pitch your movie as if it were made in 1996. You have to pitch your, it has to be directed by someone who was directing in 1996 and your cast has to be, you know, actors who are working in 1996 and they would be cast in the rage in which, you know, they were at that time. And number four, because Nicolas Cage is such a massive Superman fan and even named his son Kal-El, your movie must include a Superman reference. And now there's various criteria that we judge these movies on. Uh, first is the director and the cast. Do your director and your cast fit the movie you pitched? Uh, rule. Kind of the second thing I base on is how well did you use your rule? Did you kind of just sh- shove it in there on the side and it felt like you wrote your pitch and then included the rule later on? Or does your rule elevate your movie or kind of take away from your movie? And then the third thing I look for is the story of the pitch. Like maybe your director and actors fit the roles you cast. Maybe you used your rule well. But overall, the story you pitched and the movie you pitched just kind of doesn't sound that interesting. Or maybe it does sound incredible and it maybe will elevate your pitch and increase your chances of winning. So 
Without further ado, I've talked quite a bit, so let me introduce today's contestants. Uh, first contestant uh, has been around quite a while. Uh, he's basically been here long enough. We consider him a co-founder, even though technically uh, he is not. Uh, Tristan, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us how you're feeling, how you're feeling about the format change, how you're feeling against uh, going against your competitor today. I'm really excited for it. You, uh, me and Johnny have our Nick Cage podcast coming out, so we're all hyped on Nick Cage. Uh, I can't wait to pitch these Cage movies. And yeah, you mentioned we're going to have some Cage characters here. I can't, I'm excited to see what character Johnny pulls out to have him rep- reprise. Uh, he has a long list of roles to draw from, and there's also a wide range of what Cage can do. You know, from like the the crazy off the rails Cage to like the more reserved Cage we saw in Pig. So, as a as a competitor, I'm curious to fight against Johnny because depending on what zone of cage he went to, it could be hard to argue. You know, if he, I'm arguing against, he has like an unhinged cage going off the rails on a rant, and I'm trying to give like a a more relaxed performance. What is the debate going to be like when we're going for different sides of the same coin? You know, so it'll it'll be a fun debate and a fun one to hear Johnny's pitches from. Even though I'm gonna hate him and say they're so terrible, it'll still be fun to see what you do with the with the rules we got here. So <laughs> I'm excited for it. All right, and our next competitor is the reigning champion of the uh, Movie Change Up podcast. He's not defending his title today. We'll talk about that late on, on a later date on how uh, someone can win that title from Johnny. But uh, Johnny, you know, it's a new format change. Do you think this could hurt your chances of winning? Because someone only has to win two matches now to defeat you instead of the usual four. I think this one might make fights closer, just in terms of, you know, I, I think it's going to be hard to stay on an undefeated streak like I was with our other formats with this, because like you said, it only takes two. You could come in with three good pitches. If someone comes in with two good pitches and the judge just happens to like those, you know, two better, it's it's more of a coin flip than it was before. But I think it'll make for some more, um, you know, fun competitive matches. And like Tristan said, we both share a love for Nicolas Cage. So I'm interested to see his pitches. Normally I come in and I'm like, my pitches are going to kick this person's ass. Their pitches are going to suck. I come in today and I'm really interested to see what Tristan did with it and how he used these rules and what he did, what direction he went with the movies. Because going in, I thought, you know, I could just do whatever I wanted with these. And then I'm looking and I'm like, I got to maybe stay a little true to the story, but also change it. And, you know, it's three interesting movies that I have never seen. So I had to do some research, uh, uh, there, but yeah, I'm excited. I will uh, still beat Tristan. I'm hoping for a, th- uh, for a sweep, but I, I think he's going to come in with some fun cage pitches and I'm excited for him. All right. And, uh, before we hear these pitches, uh, normally we did this part of the show before we started taping, but this, this, this is always a fun behind the scenes moment for me. Uh, so I decided because, hey, we're shortening the show down. I think we have time to include some more things that were behind the scenes. So let's make this part of the show. Uh, so normally how we, you know, figured out who went first is via a competition. So that competition will begin now. I have in my hand a DVD. Well, technically it's a Blu-ray related to uh, this episode. And I am going to read the back of the Blu-ray. Anytime the title pops up, I will skip the title and just say blank. Uh, the first person to name the title of this movie uh, will have choice in which movie we start with and who goes first. And so I will start reading that now. Buckle up for a pure adrenaline rush. As producer... Drive angry. Jerry Bruckheimer's exclusive Conner. hit... Oh, the Conner. rock. Damn it. Conair. Nicholas Cage. Close. Buckle up. I don't know why you'd have 
drive angry on blu-ray <laughs> should have thought harder on that one all right um so tristan you get first pick on which movie we do which movie are we going with and who goes first Let's start with the one on the list that everybody's probably seen, you know, uh, the one that's the most popular pick here, and that's 1979's Prophecy. All right. <laughs> Who goes, who's going who's gonna to go first? I'll go, I'll go first on this one. All right. Prophecy, All right. like Tristan We're said. getting right into it. Came out, in 19, it. came out in 1979, got a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think we can all agree that's way too low for this movie. Uh when a dispute occurs between a logging operation and a nearby Native American tribe, Dr. Robert Vern, played by Robert Foxworth, and his wife Maggie, played by Talia Shire, hence why this uh, movie qualified for this podcast, are sent into mediate. Chief John Hawks, played by Armand Asante, insists the loggers are poisoning the water supply, and though company man Isley, played by Richard Dysart, denies it, the Verns can't ignore the strangely mutated wildlife roaming the woods. Robert captures a bear cub for testing and soon finds himself the target of an angry mutant grizzly. All right, let's hear that pitch. All right, so for me, uh, the rule that I use for this specific movie is that it's going to be released in 1996. Uh, so that kind of explains some of the choices I made here for my director. I picked uh, John McTiernan. He was hot in the 1990s. I mean, he had Die Hard, Predator, Last Action Hero in the, in the early, in the 80s and the early 90s. And then I think uh, 1996 would be a great time for him to have this kind of uh, fun action movie I'm trying to go for here, like a good 90s action thriller with a bunch of fun action sequences. So uh, my premise here is that unexplainable earthquakes have been shaking a small rural mining town. And it, they only seem to be worsening as tensions between the small town miners, uh, their union, and the mining company all seem to be worsening. Uh, so the miners are kind of insisting on better pay and better working conditions, but the company is uh, threatening to close the mine entirely and saying, oh, you haven't been productive, you haven't made us enough money anyway, so we might just close the whole mine down. So the town is kind of tense coming into the situation here. And uh, our opening scene, we follow a small-town sheriff played by Kevin Bacon, who's investigating noises uh, from the inside of this mine while it's closed. He's hearing kind of screams and strange sounds coming from the mine. He's not quite sure what it is, so he's going to hunt down, investigate it, uh, of course, going in by himself because it's horror movie logic. Uh, and he goes down and he's shocked to find several bodies kind of decimated and uh, torn up at the bottom of the mine. He says, oh, my God, what happened down here? He doesn't really have time to understand it, though, because he's attacked by this unseen monster who kind of comes and chases him out through the mine. He's running away, running away and trying to get back to his, his car. And you can hear on the radio someone's calling him trying to get his attention. He gets back to the car, grabs the radio just in time to let Grab the, grab the mic and say, mine, and then get pulled back into the mine. He's eaten and he's killed. So in the opening scene, you get Kevin Bacon kind of surprised death because you think he's going to be the main character. He's a bigger star, and then he's killed off. Uh, and then we, we go from that to follow our new town sheriff, played by Holly Hunter. And uh, she recruits. She's obviously kind of out of her elements, and she's like, oh, well, I'm not prepared to be sheriff. And suddenly our sheriff has gone missing, and... Uh, we're in the middle of this crisis, so I'm not exactly uh, prepared here. And uh, she kind of wants to investigate this missing sheriff, so she recruits a local miner who's a leader of the union, played by William H. Macy, uh, who wants to keep the mine open because he obviously wants to prepare, uh, pay for his needs and his family and his shelter. He's kind of a working dad of the mine. And they're kind of fighting against the owner of the mining company, he's played by John Voigt, and uh, his big muscle enforcer, played by Dolph Lundgren. I think would be a really fun role in that in that kind of a, a union busting fighty kind of guy. Uh, so she's kind of obviously 
has no idea what she's dealing with here at, the, at this point. And times people are going missing, getting mutilated, they're kind of fighting their bodies out in the woods. They're saying, what's, what's going on here? Uh, so the, the, the mining company is kind of denying it, saying, oh, it's just animals, it's this and that. And the duo comes face to face with the monster and finds out that it's a Wendigo. So the mining company is kind of in their, in their greed of uh, pushing this mine, pushing this mine. They've unleashed the Wendigo. And uh, the Wendigo has been eating and killing these people. So now uh, Holly Hunter, William H. Macy are kind of sitting in the diner, not quite sure what to do. And uh, while they're sitting there, this car pulls up. It's a pristine 1970s sports car, like Ferrari. Looks like it would just right out of the dealership, you know, despite being in the middle of this, of this beat up town. The door opens up and out walks Nicolas Cage. He's playing his silent but deadly gun for hire uh, from Willy's Wonderland that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, if you've seen that or not, he plays a a drifter who comes into a small town and he doesn't talk throughout the entire movie. So I continue that here. He doesn't speak at all in this movie. And he has this kind of automatic past. And you, I kind of want to fill in the past slightly with this movie and say, oh, this is one of his many adventures as a drifter out in the wilderness. So it kind of becomes Cage leading this this group of three on this investigation. And they uncovered in the final act that it's not just the Wendigo, they've unleashed all kinds of cryptids. There's, so the woods are kind of full of monsters, and as the mining company has greedily pushed this mine further and further, they've only angered the creatures in, this, in the woods, so we kind of get Nick Cage having to fight all of these monsters. Zinder Joe has Willy's Wonderland right there. So if you're familiar with the kind of fun of Willy's Wonderland, him kind of fighting those, those animatronics, you're now getting him fighting like classic cryptids, you know, like the Jersey Devil and the Wendigo. So you have Nick Cage being a fucking badass, killing all these monsters. And in the end, he does save the town. He does kind of drive out the evil mining company. And a new company comes in, tries to kind of say, oh, we're going to do things differently here, we promise. But there's kind of this hint of maybe not, you know, and maybe a hint of a sequel. And then Nick Cage kind of drives off into the desert and and ends his mission kind of similarly to Will and Wonderland, but not getting, you know, not the ending he got there. <laughs> so, and this one, he kind of just drives off. So you get another adventure with that character and he kind of drives off. So you get the hint that maybe there can be like more and more with this character. <laughs> and I think he fits into like that 1996 action thriller, almost like a straight to DVD level action movie, but with these better actors and this better director that elevate it to something that could be really memorable. All right, uh, I just have one question. Like, I obviously know what it is, but for people at home that may not know, but I do, what the hell is a Wendigo? So a Wendigo is kind of this uh, big wooden monster, uh, tree kind of creature that is famous, uh, a famous cryptid. So a cryptid is like these ancient okay. uh, legend, legendary creatures. So a Wendigo is like a tree monster, essentially. Okay. <laughs> the, the easiest way to explain it. But right. uh, famous for like living in the woods, hunting down people, and especially, especially people who like disrespect nature and disrespect the woods so i think it fits as the main villain for the movie and then you kind of bring in some other iconic cryptids for like the, the final act battle all right johnny let's hear your pitch for prophecy i went a little different direction um i uh am not setting my movie in 1996 my directors uh my co-directors are going to be christopher caldwell and zeke earl who did a great sci-fi movie that came out in 2018 it's one of my top 100 of the decade um it's called prospect 
really cool sci-fi movie that looks gorgeous and it really establishes the the planet they're supposed to be on so i really wanted to kind of give them more to do and give them kind of a bigger budget film to work on um so i'll just kind of get into it and you know reveal as it goes what i'm doing here all right so the film begins with a group of lumberjacks working in a dense forest one of the lumberjacks calls to another close by there's a strange plant growing from a patch of trees one that looks otherworldly around the trees they find a large what looks like a meteorite the trail of strange plants growing around are clearly coming from this strange rock in the forest dirt while the group of men admire this strange discovery one goes to pick it up when he touches it he starts to change he starts basically zombifying becoming mutants and he attacks the other lumberjacks in the area the screen cuts to black cuts to two men walking down a hallway two government officials we need him bill there's no one else He's the only man that might understand what we've found. God damn it, Frank. He's an American hero. He has done more than enough for us. You know the story. He's like Superman. Well, if anyone can tell us about a strange rock that came from space, it's freaking Superman. The men walk into a giant research center full of futuristic technology. Stanley Goodspeed, Nicolas Cage's character from uh, The Rock, who was the head of chemical weapons research for the FBI is now the head of research for area 51. The men recruit him to come help uh, explore this, uh, this area that they have quarantined off. They have a research team that they're going to send him off with. Um, and that research team includes uh, Lily James. Uh, she is going to be a botanist. Yaya Abdul Mateen, uh, who is a chemical radiation scientist. Jesse Plemons is an animal specialist. And then Josh Duhamel is the military general that leads a group of soldiers with them. The, the rock has taken over the forest, basically, this meteorite, um, but it also has uh, kind of grown into the nearby town. So they recruit them into go into this area to see what the deal is. And basically it plays out as they go in, they kind of explore, see what the thing is. Um, Nicholas Cage basically describes it as, you know, while it looks beautiful, everything's going to be really vivacious, bright colors, bright plants, everything like that. But he describes it as a parasite and it's taking over everything in the area. And then they find the town and it's going to be, you know, full of these zombies, these mutant zombies um, that attack the team. So I felt like if I stuck with mutant bears, it would feel a little bit too much like Annihilation. It's kind of a similar setup, but I love that movie so much. And I love a movie where they're setting people out to this kind of unknown uh, destiny, but throughout it kind of plays out that Stanley Goodspeed feels like he's lied to. He didn't know like the dangers exactly. He knew there might be some things they have to deal with, but they didn't tell him that it was zombifying people. They just said it might be dangerous to the wildlife in the area. So, you know, bring a team in. We got to, you know, do some research on it. And similar to the Rockets, him going in with, uh, with a group uh, of soldiers and, and a couple fun characters and it has zombies instead. And, uh, I think it's a cool continuation of the rock and being about like a meteorite, like a space rock, basically. So I like the connections there. I like the use. I want modern day Nicolas Cage to reprise his role from the rock. I think it makes sense for him to have taken over area 51 because it's referenced in the, in the rock in the original film, um, you know, about government secrets and things like that. So I think it makes sense for the, for the universe if they were to expand it to that. So that's, that's my pitch. Um, it's kind of like a thriller horror movie. Um, and you get Nicolas Cage doing more science jargon 
but uh, his modern day take on a character he's famous for. So obviously I had my Superman reference and my role was uh, to include a famous uh, or a character made famous by Nicolas Cage. All right. Uh, I don't think I had any, have any major questions for either of you. I got a pretty good handle on all of your, both of your pitches. Uh, so uh, I guess Tristan, you now have one minute to uh, attack Johnny's pitch uh, starting when you start talking. So for me, what I don't like the most about Johnny's pitch is his director choices. I understand going for unknown directors, and I, I like once in a while seeing movies from unknown directors, of course, but I think when you explain your plot and you're like, oh, it's science jargon with Nicolas Cage, and it's these no-name directors who made like one movie that no one knows about that might look good, but it's only the one movie. It sounds to me like it's going to be like a Dollar Tree Cage movie. Like when you go on Nick Cage IMDb and you scroll down and you're like, oh, there's half these movies I've never even heard of. Like there's some random like premise movie that, that just seconds. seems like you're going to go to Dollar Tree, pick it up for a buck. Seconds. And your movie feels like a Dollar Tree pickup. And I have a proven director at a time when his he'd done a whole bunch of great stuff. And I think it would have been a great point for him to do this movie. So I think my director choice really fits and elevates my movie and my great cast really adds to that too. So I think I brought a lot more to it in terms of my director and my cast. And, and I, I think Johnny's is just kind of, you know, it's going to be a forgettable lame Nick Cage movie. All right. Time. Johnny, you now have one minute to attack Tristan's pitch. When you start talking? Um, I mean, yeah, I'll get into my, uh, defense against what he said, but Tristan's pitch sounds exactly like this really crappy Netflix movie. I just watched called the devil below about creatures in a mine and people in the town. Some people want to keep the mine open. They don't worry about the creatures. It's right for the the thing. Pretty much everything in his plot is that, except he threw in some fun monsters and this movie didn't have the budget to really do that. Um, but again, I, I think the problem is you're going into the nineties and you have Nicholas Cage. I think it works with uh, Willie's Wonderland with modern seconds. day Nicholas Cage. 2021 cage making those choices to be silent but i don't think that works as well with 90s nick cage when he's in the middle of doing you know winning oscars and being in big budget action movies i don't think that's a choice that necessarily he either would have made or wouldn't have done it as effectively as uh 2021 cage and then my other um point was just that you're, you're gonna have 1996 monster cgi which to me when I go back, like I just watched Blade, you're going to get monsters that look like Blade. And that's the only reason that movie doesn't hold up perfectly today is because of the really, really, really crappy CGI. Five and seconds. that's what all your all your monsters are going to look like in your movie. All right. Uh, true. Tristan, you now have two minutes to attack or defend, uh, you know, Johnny. Look, he made an assumption that it was going to be bad 90 CGI. I didn't say it would be all CGI, you could easily do these masters and practical effects the same way Willie's Wonderland had a lot of practical effects. Like you can you can do that really effectively. And I think our director that I picked showed that he could do kind of really grounded practical action. Like look at Predator that had visual effects and that was ten years before this came out and it looked great. And I think you could he can he can pull this off and he can pull off uh kind of taking Nick Cage and he look what he did for for uh Bruce Willis and Die Hard. He kind of took that made it that every man action hero in, into him. And I think he could be able to coach Nick Cage into, into giving this performance and, and the character coming is kind of, and kind of coming from the other movie, I think uh, gives it a slight push where it's like he, the character already exists. So he's coming in and playing this character. And I think, I think John McTiernan would be able to pull that character off and make us believe it, especially when he's not the lead in this one. He's kind of a supporting action guy. And I think he, you know, he's coming right off of the, 
the rock at this point. He's read about the new Con Air, so I think he's at a point where he's perfectly happy with doing these fun action movies. It's not beneath him to be doing action movies at this point in his career. This is right at the time he was doing those great, fun, cheesy action movies where he just gave fun performances, and I think he'd be able to see the fun in this performance. And it would be a great way to kind of foil what he was doing at that time. And in movies like The Rock, where he was giving these big, showy performances, this can be a way to kind of subvert that while also still kind of leaning into it a little bit. And I think it could be really fun to see him take on Dolph Lundgren as his villain. <laughs> you know, I think seconds. mine just sounds like a lot more fun. Yours feels like a cheap knockoff movie that no one would really care about and watch. Maybe you'd watch it if you're doing a Nick Cage binge, but that's pretty much it. Mine feels like it'd be one of those classic 90s action movies that everyone would be talking about. And they'd point to it right in the same era as Con Air, right in the same era as The Rock is one of his classic fun action roles that totally subverts what people thought he was going to be doing at the time. Five you know, seconds. So I, I think it would be a great fit for him and for this movie. I think it sounds like a fun one. All right. Johnny, you now have two minutes to attack or defend against Tristan. I'll say to my, my defense on the, the director choice it, with Tristan saying, you know, it feels like a dollar bin Nick Cage movie. First of all, that's what Willie's Wonderland is. Nick Cage is great in it. He's the best part, but the movie stinks and it's from an amateur director. But Nicolas Cage, it doesn't matter what director he's with now. It doesn't have to be a cheap movie. Look at Pig. You know, that was that was a first time director. Panos Cosmatos made a name for himself with Mandy. That was a that was an early director into his career. It was like his second film. Those are probably the two best Nicolas Cage movies of the last 10 years. And those are both by unknown directors that maybe had one project where they kind of, you know, showed what they can do. Prospect isn't just some, you know, crappy sci-fi movie no one's ever heard of. It's a really well-made, well-directed film. And just like a lot of these studios are pulling these directors, um, you know, that have, uh, you know, little to no experience, but know they can tell a story and get performances out of their actors. Prospect is carried by two two really strong lead performances, and it builds the type of world that I'm looking one to minute. do in this one. Um, and I, I think it's just fun. We we get a lot. We had it. We went through a stretch where zombie movies were everything, and they all sucked. Um, and then you know, Train to Busan came out, and once people realize that movie kicks ass, it's like okay, you can do good zombie movies. I think this is a cool sci-fi film with a beloved character in the past that I'd rather see. If I'm going to see another Nicolas Cage characters, I already have his performance in Willy's Wonderland. It's not going to be improved on that by, 30 seconds. you know, giving that to face off Nicolas Cage, whose best part of the nineties was his one liners and his overacting and those choices. I think when he got to the point in his career now, when he's doing quieter films like Mandy, that's more of the type of guy I see succeeding as that character than than uh 1996 cage in yours um so i'd rather use him as like nowadays return to form of um a character that he used to play and be all charismatic and see you know uh what he can do with that character now it's more interesting all right and so now you guys have a two minute free-for-all you can check each other defend yourself uh whoever starts talking first i'll start the timer yeah, for me, the biggest thing is just Johnny's feels like a like a maybe, like a shot in the dark, like, oh, it could be good, maybe, if the directors do pull it off, maybe. But when you look at his career, the reality is that, like, when he goes for these deep-cut random genre picks, most of the time they don't work. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. And I think Johnny's leans towards not working. He feels like he, I mean, sure, the prospect might be good, but I, I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I can't argue against that specific movie. But I, all I can say is that, yeah, with Nick Cage, sometimes his Dollar Tree movies are fun, but most of the time they're not. And 
a lot of that comes down to the, the directors when they're so unproven. I don't think, I just don't feel confident that they'd be able to pull well, it I'll off. say most, most of his movies that he's doing that are dollar bin movies are not from unproven directors. Like Willy's Wonderland isn't from a director who's been working forever, but always makes dollar bin movies. You know, that's the type of movie that you get when, when Nicolas Cage does jujitsu. It's from a director that's done a million movies and all of them are just straight to DVD. You know, it's not from giving them a real studio film with actual um, directors. So I don't think that point really stands to it. I think that's just the only point you can really fight against it. I, I think with yours, it would be one of the fun 90s action movies. But when you look back on it, rewatching Face Off, rewatching Con Air, sure, those movies have fun performances from Cage, but the movies themselves aren't very good. Um, but I'm not you know, pitching Face Off or Con of Air. Rock I'm is a great. movie from John McTiernan, the proven director who has tons of great movies. Like Die Hard, Predator, a couple. Are some of the I mean, of Predator movies. is good and Die Hard is great, but I don't know. I, McTiernan by '96 doing this movie with Nicolas Cage being all silent. I, I just don't see it all fitting together as well as like the idea of it now is funny. But actually taking myself into 1996, I don't know if this this film really works. And I do think that it would be bogged down by bad CGI. Um, and yeah, you'd probably have some good practical effects like Predator, but even in Predator, when it has like the spaceship and some of the, when it does do the Five CG, seconds. none of that holds up very well. And I think so Johnny's argument is that like one or like two shots that. might not hold up perfectly. So you should go for these random unproven directors that are going to make maybe, a but also, movie, but Predator is, it's different to have one Predator creature that's done well, practically like the first alien movie. All right. And then I have, get I have into my mind a, a bunch of. You know, monsters. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't think they would just do practical for all of them. All right. So uh, I was a little bit back and forth, but I think by the time we got to the free for all, I had kind of uh, made my mind up and I thought, you know, I'm pretty much know where I'm going. Uh, What it came down to for me, as far as going through everything, I think as far as story goes, uh, I think you guys are uh, pretty even on that point. I think both your guys' stories uh, sound interesting and something I would watch. Um, as far as director and cast, um, Johnny's directors didn't really bother me as much. Uh, it didn't really, you know, they're, they haven't made a lot of movies, but part of what his pitch reminded me of is like the directors of like Bad Boys for Life or other things where it's like these new guys. But I, you know, I looked up, uh, while you guys were talking, I looked up Prospect and it had good reviews. It had everything in it. There wasn't really like, oh, like it was good despite its directors or anything. So I think they're directors, you know, newcoming directors that have shown they have talent, that they can make something uh, good. Um, Cast, uh, your cast, I feel like Nicolas Cage, your roles uh, would be good uh, for both of you. Bringing Stanley Goodspeed back as well as bringing uh, Willy's Wonderland back. Um, My one thing, uh, but basically what it came down to, I think you both had a decent amount of positives, but I think a lot more negatives for me came down on Tristan just because... While John McKiernan did good with Die Hard and he did good with Predator, the Predator was a uh, realist, you know, it was a uh, human in a suit and there was really no uh, otherworldly stuff in Die Hard where I feel like bringing in like a tree monster and all of these other monsters in um, Prophecy, I don't know how well it would hold up and I don't know what these type of movies and I also agree with Johnny of I don't know if necessarily 1996 silent you know 1996 Nick Cage but silent is exactly maybe the best use of that rule and so for me overall though it was relatively close but I decided to ultimately go with Johnny on this 
Tristan, I I'd thought when he that. pulled up in the in the fancy car, I thought it was going to be his character from Gone in sixty seconds. But I was when you did the Willy's Wonderland, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like now, when you read the interview with him about it, he's like, oh yeah, I, I this specific scene I pulled from, you know, my years is like a uh, studying Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I wanted to pull from Bruce Lee. And I'm like, I don't see him doing that in the 90s. It, it was very specific time in his life that he could pull mm-hmm. off an amazing performance. But he's so fucking good in that movie. So I don't blame you for wanting to, you know, put that. I think there was just too much of a gap between 96 and yeah. oh, for that. I think if it was a different year, that would have been harder to fight against. If it was a little later. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would watch Johnny's movie. <laughs> I, uh, I, my original director choice was, um, and now I forget her name, but the the director who just did Candyman okay. last year, I thought she was, uh, she showed a lot with that. But then I wanted to go something more of like two directors that have proved themselves as sci-fi directors, even though that no one knows who they are. And now I realize I should have gone with the directors that were of The Endless, which Tristan had me watch. Because then he would have been like, okay, I know these guys are actually good and I've seen their movies. And uh, I think that would have been a little harder to fight. But I'm glad I still won. But I, yeah, I, I would have seen Tristan's movie for sure. Having just watched Blade and Face Off, it would, it would squeeze right in there. Um, but yeah, that, that CGI in the 90s, man. That's the one thing I really can't get past sometimes. Yeah, that was a big drawback. I mean, I know like maybe practical, but I just this, I was picturing all these different monsters. Like the practical, it wasn't like vibing with me. And then I was like CG. I don't know how it would work. And that was that was one. Of the well, it's things. like when you watch when you watch Hellraiser, you get amazing practical characters. But then anytime they like, you do need to have some CG around it. And when you watch that movie, and the CG is like, this is a cartoon. This is like this looks more like like Space Jam level of using cartoons instead of effects. Um, so I, I was thinking about doing Prospect in 1996, and I kind of, that's the reason that was fresh in my head of that is because I changed it, and I was like, uh, I, I want to make that a little more modern. I think I can do more with that. I also had to change it from the bear to zombies because I was like, yeah. my movie sounds a lot like Annihilation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that might have been a knock on you, unless you had done like the 1996 rule or something where it was like, okay, well, it's pre-Annihilation. Or it was before that movie, yeah. All right, uh, Tristan... Uh, your call again. Are we going with The Princess Diaries or The Outsiders? Let's go with The Princess Diaries. All right, classic film. All right. So the sequel is where my introduction to Chris Pine was. So, uh, Princess Diaries came out in 2001. Got a Rotten Tomato score of 49%, which honestly surprised me because I haven't seen it in probably over 10 years, but my memory of it is like a decent family movie. So I expected like low 70s, but who knows? I'm not a film critic. Uh, so the plot of the movie is shy San Francisco teenager Mia Thermopolis, played by Anne Hathaway, is thrown for a loop when, from out of the blue, she learns the astonishing news that she's a real-life princess. As the heir apparent to the crown of the small European principality of Genovia, Mia begins a comical journey towards the throne when her strict and formidable grandmother, Queen Clarice Rinaldi, played by Julie Andrews, shows up to give her princess lessons. And, uh, Tristan, who's going first? Uh... I'll go first on this one again, I guess. Okay. Hit me with it. So uh, my director for this one was Bryce Dallas Howard. She hasn't directed a movie yet, but she's done several episodes of uh, Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. She just did, I think it was the most recent Boba Fett episode, which was certainly Uh, one of the better ones of the show so far. 
She's directing the next episode, I believe. Ah, okay. Well, I, I credit her for something she hasn't done yet, but still, I mean, she has very good action director work. Uh, so I think she'd be able to pull this uh, this this kind of movie off. I think she. Now, she I've, now it I'm Mando. interested. With she does good action sequences. Here's my pitch for the Princess Diaries. <laughs> look, look, prepare yourselves. All right. <laughs> so by cast, I have Haley Steinfeld as Mia. And the rule that I used was that I'm going to include Nick Cage in two roles. So the two roles that I have Nick Cage in are as Mia's father and also as the King of Genovia. So you kind of have this fun where Nick Cage is giving uh, giving this very kind of smaller muted role as the father of the single father of Haley Steinfeld. His his wife kind of left them uh, mysteriously and unexplainably. They only are happily married and then suddenly she kind of like up and left in the night and they never heard from her again. And uh, Nick Cage is kind of like this dorky dad who's turned her office into like this lab where he looks at rocks like a rock collector and he's just kind of like this quiet kind of guy and i feel like that would be a fun role for nick cage to do in this kind of part, part time of his life when he's, he's a father and he wants to give these smaller performances but you also have him as the king where he gives this kind of elevated fun performance and you have the duality of like these two father figures that she has of her her actual father father and then the the king uh so Mia is kind of a social outcast college senior who could rather read pulpy comic books and adventure novels and watch anime than worry about like sports and dresses and things like that that she supposedly should worry about. Uh, so she's kind of uh, lost touch with her father as she's gotten older, not really connecting with him as much. Uh, and she kind of often wonders about her mother, who, like I said, kind of left when she was young, that never heard from her again. And she always wonders, like, why, what happened and where did she go? And uh Things change in her life when she's suddenly approached on campus by Ellie Fanning, Elle Fanning, uh, who's playing a character who's kind of the hand of the princess and tells her that her mother was actually a distant relative, like a long distant relative of a line of royals, and that through some fluke of succession, now uh, Mia is going to be the queen of Genovia. So she uh, is taken off and swept up into this kind of dream life that is not really her dream. You know, she's not the princess type of person. She's more of the of the comic book nerd type of person and uh her dad kind of tells her like uh you know is this really this uh uh what what you are it's really cool that you're this princess i'm really happy for you that you found this new direction and she's not quite sure if it's her uh but while she's exploring her bedroom she finds a diary left by uh what she seems to be her mother and she says oh i found this diary of my mother and she knew this this some sort of secret about this kingdom and she knew about uh, some kind of secret that, that the king knew about and she couldn't tell the king and she's not very clear in the diary what the secret is but now Mia kind of wonders if there's some some other other motive going on about this uh, this king here so she brings the diary to her dad her dad says this doesn't really sound like your mom and I don't know much about you know ancient ancient tombs or anything like that because she talks about like oh there's these ancient ruins underneath the castle that the king wants to get to and uh, so he says, but I do know somebody who God does know it. stuff about ancient runes. God and he says, I have an old college professor who might know a thing or two. So they reach out and they find Benjamin Franklin Gates, the star of National Treasure. Uh, he's recruited to help them figure out this puzzle of these princess, of this diary, what it was talking about. And he does a little bit of research and he says, oh, I know of this legend called the Princess Diaries of this long-kept diary of all the princesses of Genovia. It's kind of a, a legend among the Genovia people. I don't really think it's real, but of course it is. So we're going to go on a hunt. 
and find these princess diaries. So then you kind of get this action adventure more so than, oh, and Hathaway becomes a pretty princess. You have, oh, you can also have this adventure dream if you want to be like the, you know, the action star. You want to be the comic book character. You can be that too. So you have this kind of fun adventure but where uh, you have arcs for all these characters. So <laughs> Benjamin Gates has kind of lost his touch as an adventurer. He's now working as a professor. He hasn't really gone out and done anything like that in a while. So he finally gets to get off his feet and realize that he's still this kind of, still this cool, badass guy that can go on these adventures. And her father, who's kind of this shut-in, who knows a lot about rocks, gets to put his expertise to the test. And while he's in these tombs, he finds all these ancient rocks. And his knowledge of these rocks is able to kind of help them as they go forward. So his kind of weird, obscure nerd knowledge is actually something that helps the team by the end. And Elf Fanning, who's this very anxious type A person, uh, it kind of gets out of her comfort zone and helps them out as well. So you have arcs for all these characters. And in the end, they defeat the king and get the king into themselves and kind of reveal the truth that the king knew about this all along and was keeping the secret. So she gets the throne and hands it off essentially to Elf Fanning, where the, the duo is kind of really in the kingdom. So she doesn't want to be a princess, but Elf Anning kind of takes on the role. So you kind of get everybody happy endings and you get a fun, cool adventure movie. So I brought it to Bryce Dallas Howard because she could be able to pull off uh, the fun adventure scenes. So that's my pitch. You get Princess Diaries with a national treasure kick in the end. All right. Johnny, what is your Princess Diaries pitch? I, while I change the story, I think mine actually resembles a bit of the Princess Diary story a little more than Tristan's. <laughs> um, even though it sounds fun, it doesn't sound like the Princess Diaries. But um, I've never seen it, so who knows? Maybe they go on a, a spectacular adventure figuring out clues. My director is uh, Kelly Freeman Craig, who did a great coming-of-age film a few years ago called Edge of Seventeen which stars Haley Steinfeld, who is the star of Tristan's film. Um, but I'll get into my pitch and kind of reveal my character. So Princess Mia, played by Thomas and McKenzie, who I thought was the best part of uh, Last Night in Soho. Um, daughter of the uptight and proper king, King Francis, played by Nicolas Cage, wants nothing more in life than to please her father and live up to the family name by being the most elegant princess she can be. Um, Mia is surprised... Uh, when the family is visited by Francis's twin brother and his wife, who left royalty for their uh, uh, the royalty of their family long ago to pursue a life in Hollywood, Carson, also played by Nicolas Cage, the twin brother of the king, and his wife Charlotte, played by Halle Berry, live life to the fullest. They're very unorganized. They go against everything King Francis believes royalty is all about. At first, Mia shares annoyance uh, with her father about these intruders into their royal life. Uh, she looks at them as uncivilized. She looks down on them um, and thinks that they're a thorn on the family name. Mia eventually starts to see how happy the two are and starts to form a connection with them. When Mia learns the true reason Carson left the family, which is that um, it wasn't to go play Superman, which is Nicolas Cage's big acting role, um, which his brother blames him for. He says, you left us to go be in Hollywood and go play Superman. And you should have stayed here and been, you know, part of the family and you abandoned us. Um, but it turns out he left the family because he was in love with uh, Haley Berry's character and that he was getting crucified uh, by the media for loving a black woman uh, and someone who was an actress. 
So I think that's a good play on the Meghan Markle situation with Prince uh, Harry. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Um, the one that the one that looks like Carson Wentz, hence Nick Cage's character being named Carson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I came up with that name. Uh, so, uh, so once she finds it out, she starts to form a strong bond with her aunt and uncle, and realizes life is more than about being civilized. It's about having fun and living life to the fullest. Her father starts shunning her. And Mia struggles with the idea of pleasing the king or leaving or living a happier life. Um, so I wanted to kind of flip it. The Princess Diaries is about this girl who doesn't know she's a princess and doesn't act that way and has to learn how to be a princess. And we've seen that a million times in movies, and that's boring. I want to see kind of the opposite. This girl that I think Thomas and Mackenzie can really pull off that really uptight, elegant princess and then kind of learn to have fun and start, you know, uh, learning from the goofballs that come into their life. And I think that um, that would be a good family movie. Nicholas Cage does a lot of these obscure ones nowadays, but you know, national treasure is a great, like Tristan pulled from it. It's one of the best like original stories that we've gotten. That's a family movie in a long time. And I think Nicholas Cage going back that route and doing like a family movie, like a good PG, um, you know, type of film that anyone can go see uh, would be, would be fun. Um, and, and I think is, uh, would be a, a kind of change things up from what he's been doing recently, even though I really like what he's been doing recently. So that is the direction I went. Um, I will say I was thinking of making this a musical, but since Joe was our judge and not Tristan, I, I went against that, but I thought a musical for this actually would have worked really well. Um, even though I don't watch musicals, so it's hard for me to fight really hard for one. Um, so that's that's my film. I got my Superman reference, uh, which is going to be obviously my role used in all the movies, and Nicolas Cage playing two roles, as does Tristan. All right. And Tristan, what, your two roles were... Oh, you did the two roles plus the role. Okay, yeah. So Yeah. Okay. So if it. you haven't followed along, the rule that I'm using is that the Cage, I have a Nick Cage character in all, in all of my movies. And uh, Johnny is obviously yeah. doing the Superman reference. Um, all right. Uh, I think I'm leaning a certain way. I don't want to show my cards too much. I believe Tristan went first, so you have one minute to attack Johnny starting when you start talking. Yeah, you talked about how you want to make a good family movie because Nick Cage does good family films, and I, mine is a great family movie. You get a whole, it's like a family adventure movie, and I think uh, I, you talked about how mine's not faithful to the original, and I think it's honestly very faithful to the core, core story of the original where it's like she finds out she's a princess. She doesn't think she can take on the role she doesn't think she's worth it but over the course of the story she learns how to be a princess and this kind of subverts it instead of learning how to be a princess by like being prim and proper and wearing dresses she learns how to be a princess by going out to adventure and saving the kingdom you know so she learns how to be a princess in that in that way in a different way so it's still the same core story and she learns that she has this princess uh within her the whole time essentially so i think uh, i'm very faithful to the original story so i don't think that's a good knock on mine and yeah, I, I agree with you that Nick Cage should go and do some good family films like the one that I just pitched, a, good, a fun family adventure. Bryce Dallas Howard, I think it would be a great fit for like a family film director. If you look at her work in Star Wars, I think she's shown that she can pull off like family TV really well. So I think that's a good fit. And I think Nick Cage would have, would have, would have a lot more fun in my movie than in, in yours because you can have the, the sort of family dad role that you have in yours, but it can also be the fun king at the end when he reveals himself at the end. Of course, he's going to have a cool Nick Cage villain monologue and really be able to ham it up so you're going to get the highs and, and then and then also like the the emotional lows in the cage you're going to be able to see him mourning his his wife and you're going to be able to see like 
him as kind of this secluded dad who's not quite as outgoing as he used to be. So you have that there as well. So I think you're covering a wide range of cage in my movie. So I think mine just sounds like a lot of fun. Right, five seconds. And a really cool subversion of the Princess Diaries and, and not just doing the exact same story, but following the core of it and doing it totally differently. All right. Johnny, you got a minute to attack Tristan, starting when you start talking. Um, I, My main problem with Tristan's is... I get, you know, you have to use the two cages, but I think when you bring in a third cage and he's a character you already know, it kind of takes away from the two roles that he's already playing. And I also think it makes it hard to explain that her father and the king and her professor all look exactly the same, um, even though if they act differently, they're they're all Nicolas Cage. I think that confuses that a little bit. I think it makes more sense in my movie to have them be twin brothers um, and you get a better dichotomy of... Nicholas Cage is a serious actor being the king and Nicholas Cage being his crazy fun loving self as, as the brother. Um, and I, I think yours works a little bit for a national treasure type adventure, except that national treasure, the only reason that Nick Cage is an expert in that character in that, that 15 whole field, seconds, it's American history because of the Gates family and because of the treasure and both movies deal with American history. I don't know if he would be going off to Genovia to go off on some adventure that doesn't really fit with the rest of those, those films. So I don't know if that mesh necessarily works. I think you could maybe make it work, but you'd have to stretch the character of Ben Gates a Five lot seconds. to, to get there. And you already did that a little too much in book of secrets. I think they over expanded his character a little too much already in that one. All right. So uh, before we get started, uh, the two things I will say uh, before you start attacking and defending. Um, I really don't feel like I need much defense on the uh, Nicolas Cage knowing about Genovia because really the only thing I got from Tristan's is he knew basically about the book, he which he knew about the book and whatnot. So I feel like if he just happens to like if he just happens to come across that information at some point in his life, like maybe he knows about it. It's not, I, I wasn't getting the vibe. He knows all about the history of Genovia, maybe just about the book. And then two, mm-hmm. I do need defense from Tristan though, as part of it, of how you explain how her dad looks the same as someone on his mom's or uh, how Haley Steinfeld's dad looks the same as someone on her mom's side of the family. Cause that would, that would like weird me out and take me out of the movie. So I'll need a little bit of defense on that. And uh, other than that, uh, you got Tristan has two minutes uh, when he starts talking. Look, I don't think it's that confusing. I think it's, it's essentially part of the joke of it. Like Nick Cage is playing both of these roles, and you're supposed to be aware of the fact that it's Nick Cage playing both of these roles. Like, when you watch The Wizard of Oz, you you know that the fact that they're playing the roles in the one version, and then they're also playing the other roles. And I think it it's it's part of the fun that Nick Cage is playing these two different roles and these two different father figures. And it's not like, oh, the king is, like, the, the father of the mom. It's like, oh, the mom was, like, this long-distant relative of this long-distant family. So I don't think it's all that weird that it's not like, oh, they're... they're she married this one someone looked just like her dad or something like that it's, it's essentially like how she has this long distant relative that is also that was royalty so i think it, it doesn't really weird me out and i think it's part of the fun that nick cage is playing both of those different opposing figures and there's even a, a joke in it where he could be you know that could obviously point out the fact that like oh that guy's an old fossil when he talks about he talks about benjamin gates and you can have it it's like a joke on the fact that they're played by the same actor and you could easily make jokes about how like he shows up and the the king sees him and says, well, that guy looks like royalty. You know, you could easily write in some lampshading jokes that make it fun. 
So I think that's part of the fun of the movie. And plus, it's an adventure kind of fun movie. So I think it, it's kind of fun to see them going off on this adventure. And I think, yeah, I, ha- I think to the core story of it, it's really you're seeing her learn how to be a princess through adventure and through action rather than just through like culture and behavior. So I think that's part of the arc of her within Princess Diaries and within this. And yeah, I think it's a fun elevation of I've seen Princess Diaries so, so, so many times. It's a classic movie I watched as a kid. So I don't really want to see them take the exact same premise and do it over again. So I think it's perfectly fun to take the idea of the Princess Diaries and throw it into like a more of an action kind of movie, similar to like they did with Jumanji or things like that recently, where they take the idea and kind of elevate it to something different. But it's still in, in the end, the same core theme in the same core story so i think mine feels like a really fun elevation of a movie that i liked a lot as a kid or five seconds and you throw in national treasure and nick cage it makes anything better so i'm all in on mine all right johnny you got two minutes to attack or defend tristan as soon as do you have anything specific you need me to address like you did for tristan uh no because he only really i just had the one thing of i didn't need him to defend something i already agreed with and then he had the one small thing i had a problem but i thought he defended it well so Got it. I will say he defended it by using the point of Wizard of Oz, which it's not like the Tin Man, Scarecrow, and Lion were all played by the same actor, which is closer to what he's doing than if it was, you know, than having them be different than they are in the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. Um, I think that can work if you do like Austin Powers or Coming to America when you have that, but you have to be playing kind of outrageous characters, and I I don't see that with, with Ben Gates' thing here. I, I just think if, if you're going with, um, I'd love to see a sequel to National Treasure. I don't really care about um, The Princess Diaries. I would go see my version of it. Um, but I think that's an, a weird cross-up that I don't think is necessary. I'd rather just get the sequel to um, National Treasure, where they're exploring Area 51. Like, they teased us so many years ago and never never came through those fucking cowards. Um, we might know, be getting I, it I, now. I'd love to see that, but... They maybe, and that would be great. But until then, I want to see Nicolas Cage kind of do um, something a little more focused on his his acting. I think if you have three different characters by him, and one of them is is Ben Gates, who is like a mild mannered Nicolas Cage for the most part. One I minute. think if you're using two of him um, in roles, I, I'd like to see, like I mentioned, like the dichotomy of you get serious Nicolas Cage, you get family style, fun Nicolas Cage. I just think it works better like that rule choice works better for my movie than than tristan's um and i think it you know his second role being added in there distracts from what he might have been going for originally with that with the rules i don't think they they mesh well together i like the idea of this kind of being a commentary and showing life lessons uh that you don't normally get in 30 seconds some of these live action kids movies um you know it's always about oh well you know they find out they're a princess or they find out they're their legacy and they have to learn how to be all proper and stuff like that. I want to see a switch on that. I think that would be fun. We don't really have that in, in movies. Um, you know, so I, I like my pitch. I think mine works better as a princess diaries film. Tristan sounds like a decent adventure film. I don't think the, the mesh of the two films quite work for me personally. All right. And now you guys have two minutes to attack or defend. It's a free for all. So whoever starts talking first, I'll start the timer. I think my mesh works perfectly. You talk about my three different cages, and I think they are three different performances. You get the king, who's the crazy villain, who gives the increasingly over-the-top performance that we can get out of Cage. You also get Benjamin Gates, who, like you said, is kind of the straight man, adventurer-type person who's leader of the team. And then you also get the dad, who is 
like the dorky, anxious type who's just he's kind of like really uncomfortable with a lot of element in what he's doing. So I think you have very very different performances from Cage that would lead to a lot of fun comedy moments in the movie. And yeah, you even said like, oh, if they play like outrageous fun roles, then it can work. And like, and that's exactly what I'm doing here. Like, it's it's a fun movie. It's an adventure movie where they're kind of leaning into the joke of it. And I think it it seems perfectly fine to me that we have all this mesh together. And I, I think mine sounds exactly like a good Princess Diaries pickup. And yours honestly doesn't really. Yours just sounds like you kind of take it sim- somewhat. And mine, in a way, almost sounds more faithful than yours. Because sure, I change all the periphery around it. Like I change the adventure of it, but I, the structure is, is, is the same thing. So I think that mine feels like. But you're also you're really also giving elevation. this to Bryce Dallas Howard, who's completely unproven. Unlike my directors from the last movie that I did, um, my directors have shown that they can actually do a film. And I think this would be a really poor decision on Bryce Dallas Howard's part. If she wanted to be seen as a serious director to have her debut directorial film to be what you are pitching. I think it's smart for debut directors to kind of stick to something that's their own story or something that's close to them. And I don't necessarily think that's good for a good career choice for her. We've already seen a really good coming of age story. That's much different than my film, but Kelly Freeman Craig has already shown that she can do a really great tone and have some serious 15 seconds wouldn't be as, as, as adult as edge of 17 was, but it would be, it would have a similar type of tone and it's proven from a director that has shown that she can do that successfully um, already, and I don't think Bryce Dallas Howard is definitely proven. Though I mean, she she's done show. some of the best work in she's the Mandalorian. She's done a couple of Mandalorian episodes, which have nothing to do with your movie. Five I seconds. don't see the connection there. The connection is she's a good director who directs action well and directs female characters well, and I and I think it's a perfectly good fit. Disney, she's worked for Disney. Like I think she's right in the wheelhouse of this movie. All right, I think it's a bad Time. bad directorial debut choice for her. All right, so. Uh, this one I was back and forth on almost to the very end, and then I uh, realized something, um, and it kind of uh, sold me. I think Johnny's pitch is kind of a little bit more of a generic Princess Diaries type pick. I think uh, Tristan swung more for the fences on his uh, pick. Uh, it took me a while to come around on his three Nicolas Cages, because at first I was like, I'm completely out on this, because I don't understand Nicolas Cage on one side of the family and then Nicolas Cage on the other, but when then... Tristan brought up the fact that it's a distant relative on the other side. I'm like, all right, I can, I can understand this. And I thought of, in the balance of the three Nicolas Cages, and I can see it being a good comedic. But something I realized, and then Johnny brought it up, is I think Bryce Dallas Howard would be a good pick for like kind of more of a standard or like without the Nicolas Cage element of like the comedic element of the three Nicholas cages. I think Bryce Dallas Howard would be a good pick for the Tristan's movie, but I don't know if I've seen, I can't think of any comedic moments or anything in her, um, her Mandalorian episode in her Mandalorian episodes that I feel like it'd be a tall task to ask someone to balance those three, uh, kind of Nicholas cage comedic type performances. Because I feel like there's a very thin line of it working and it not working, and I I don't know if I could trust her to uh, make it work when I haven't really seen her do anything like that. And uh, that was a big knock for me, and so I ultimately had to go with Johnny, which means Johnny wins this round. However, this match, however, the next round is important because I was going to save and talk about it in a later episode, so the whole first part of this episode wasn't me giving exposition. Basically, how we're determining uh, who faces the champ is... Before, how we would do it is if you win two matches in a row, 
you get to face the champ for the title. But we've decided, because there was too much to keep track of, essentially, um, uh, going into, like, we'll do it, like, we'll have championship matches two or three times a year. Whenever we decide to do a championship match, we'll look at who has the highest, like, round win percentage uh, going into a match. So, Tristan winning here or losing here could potentially affect down the line him beating someone out for a championship match. So, uh, this round is still important. Uh, it doesn't really matter as far as this match goes, but it could uh, help push Tristan into a championship match in the future. So, Tristan, uh, to stop from getting shut out, are you going first on the Outsiders? or is I, I guess I'll go first on this one again and see if I... Why don't you change it up? You, right, you're you always on going first. I'll go first. All right, let me. Uh, um, let me. We'll uh, see if uh, maybe Joe just picks what stays fresher in his mind. We'll see. I mean, that's partially why I added the uh, free for all element it's, to kind of. Uh, no, it's good to it's good to address those things too with the free for all. I like that. You can kind of get to things like in my fight against Tristan with the two minutes. I didn't even think to get to the the. Uh, director addressing that so i'm glad we have that little free-for-all added so i could have uh so i could address something else all right so we have the outsiders came out in 1983 got a 68% on rotten tomatoes uh a teen gang in rural oklahoma the greasers are perpetually at odds with the socials a rival group when greasers pony boy played by c thomas howell and johnny played by ralph macchio get into a brawl that ends in the death of a social member the boys are forced to go into hiding Soon, Ponyboy and Johnny, along with the intense Dallas, played by Matt Dillon, and their greaser buddies, must contend with the consequences of their violent lives. While some greasers try to achieve redemption, others meet tragic ends. Johnny, you're All right. right. Mine will... My director choice might make sense as my film goes on, but I chose Chuck Russell um, because I'm setting this in 1996, or releasing it in 1996. And Chuck Russell... Uh, just made a couple years before this a super successful comedy called The Mask. And then he also did one of what is considered probably the best Nightmare on Elm Street uh, sequel, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Um, so I, I think those two best represent what I'm going for in my movie. My Johnny is going to be played by Mike Vitar, who is uh, Benny the Jet from The Sandlot, which just came out a few years before this. He didn't do a lot afterwards, so I want to give him another role because I thought he's great in Sandlot. Uh, my pony boy Curtis is Ryder Strong. Uh, at the time, he was doing some movies, but he was obviously most famous for Boy Meets World. And then my, you know, so I have my Johnny. He's kind of like the younger, unsure of himself character. My playboy Curtis is like the pretty boy, um, and I think Ryder Strong fits that. And then my Dallas is like the, you know, he was the Matt Dillon character in the original, so he was kind of the, the tough kid that's going to be played by Christian Bale. Um, those are the three that I really cast because it's hard to find a lot of, you know, kid actors from 1996, but it'll be, but those are the three most important uh, roles outside of obviously what I will reveal. So the film begins with two rival street gangs in New York, the Greasers and the Socials. They're in a fight. When the gangs hear cops approaching, they all scatter. One of the greasers, Johnny, stumbles into an abandoned house, or what he thought was abandoned. The floorboards crack. He falls into the basement. Inside, there is a coffin. Inside the coffin, a sleeping man in ancient attire. The vampire opens his eyes. Opens his eyes. Him and Johnny both shout in horror. 
the vampire played by Nicolas Cage. Johnny realizes after both are freaking out that the vampire is frightened of him. He seems harmless. Johnny calms down. He was able to calm the vampire down, but he can't really understand the ancient Latin the vampire is speaking. The two still become friends despite the language barrier, and Johnny learns the vampire's name is Lucius. The, the next day, Johnny brings Ponyboy and Dallas to come meet his new friend. At first, like him, they are frightened, but they realize Lucius is, Lucius is harmless. The boys teach Lucius the ways of the greasers. Slick his hair back, get him in a leather coat, teach him some of their slang terms, things like that. I think it would be so much fun to see 1996 Nicolas Cage. We've seen him becoming a vampire or thinking he's becoming a vampire. I want vampire Nicolas Cage to learn how to be a greaser. That is what I'm going for in this movie. I think that would be so much fun. Um, so the boys teach him their ways, and they can only hang out with him at night, obviously, as the sunlight will kill him. When Johnny brings a stack of comics to, so, to show Lucius, he tells his vampire friend that Superman is like him. He's very different than everyone else. He has some superpowers. Um, and he talks to him about secret identities and keeping his identity hidden, and you know, no one can know that he's a vampire. Um, and he also compares kryptonite to sunlight, as it's Lucius's one true weakness um it'll play out as a fun kind of 90s comedy with these kids teaching nicholas cage as the ancient vampire how to be a greaser and how to act their ways um and then it'll end with the kids get into a fight they're in danger in daylight and nicholas cage's vampire hears it and sacrifices himself by going in the daylight to save to save his friends and it's kind of like a little heartfelt ending of him rescuing them but then dying in the sunlight um, but I, I think that would be, if this came out in 90, 1996, it could be known as one of Nicolas Cage's most memorable performances of him being the old Latin-speaking ancient vampire that occasionally says some greaser terms and slang and then, uh, you know, at the end uh, rescues the kids. And I, I want to see, I wish we got a little more, especially in the 90s, some more Nicolas Cage comedies. So he was kind of stuck doing action movies then, which some are some work better than others, but... He has tremendous comedic timing, which he's shown in Shadow or Shadow of Vampire. I always want to call it in Vampire's Kiss and in The Weatherman um, and even in uh, National Treasure. So I want to expand on that and do some fun uh, vampire comedy. Vampires were big in the 90s. It was a few years after uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, uh, Dracula film. So I think this uh, would have been a huge hit then and a movie that would still hold up today and something that I would love to have existed so that's my pitch it's the the outsiders meets nicholas cage the vampire all right tristan what yeah. rules did you use uh, i used uh it came out in 1996 and i have my superman oh, okay. references and who is your director again what did they do they did, you said they directed dream warriors and my, uh, what else yeah chuck russell he did the mask okay, and the mask was, yeah, and dream warriors okay so those are the two type of tones I want to mesh together for my for my film to give you an idea of what I'm going okay. for. Okay, I got it. All right, uh, I went I went a different direction. Uh, Shocking. Based on the episode so far, I don't think it's a good choice to go a different direction. I guess, but uh, for my version of Outsiders, uh, my director was Spike Jones. Uh, my premise is: Why would you ever want to remake The Outsiders? That's the question that Charlie Kaufman asked himself when he was handed the project. <laughs> so the role that I'm bringing back is Nicolas Cage as Charlie Kaufman from Adaptation. So if you haven't seen Adaptation, Nick Cage plays a fictionalized version of Charlie Kaufman who wrote the movie Adaptation. And it's about 
uh, Charlie Kaufman and his twin brother, who's kind of a slacker, who's also played by Nicolas Cage, named David. And together they're trying to work to write an adaptation of a classic book called The Orchid Thief. And it's like impossible because this book is so renowned and it's so classic and it's a hard narrative to adapt. So he's kind of struggles to adapt it throughout that movie. And over the course of the movie, uh, he finishes his script and kind of becomes successful. But spoiler alert, his brother David dies uh, by the end of the movie. Uh, so in this film, Charlie Kaufman, who's not famous for his adaptation of The Orchid Thief uh, and is known for his kind of abstract art house meta movies, he's recruited by a major Hollywood studio to remake The Outsiders for a modern day audience. Uh, so when the original adaptation dealt with kind of the struggles of him writing this impossible screenplay, this is going to kind of follow all the way through. And him, he's, a, he's making this impossible remake of this classic book and this classic movie. And he begins to kind of start to lose his mind over the course of the production. He starts to see visions of his brother, David. Uh, so we get a, a reprisal of the David uh, uh, Kaufman role as well in these kind of these nightmarish vision sequences where he's seeing things that aren't quite there and losing track of reality. And he still wants to make this movie somehow good but the studio is insisting on like all these rules and all these stunt casts you know he they bring in tom holland to play the role the lead role of outsiders they bring in people like uh like uh, dylan o'brien a lot of like the hollywood a-list all-stars will have like appearances in this similar to how an adaptation they had some cameos and things like that of people playing themselves and uh so charlie decides to go to the one director he thinks he can trust to do this with him which is spike jones the director of the actual movie, but the fictionalized version of Spike Jones is also played by Nick Cage. <laughs> so you have kind of this fictionalized version of Spike Jones played by this totally different version of Nick Cage that kind of repeats back to the meta-ness of the original adaptation. And you follow them through the, the, the process of making The Outsiders uh, in 2022, and you kind of see like the onset antics and these moments where Charlie Coffin, while he's kind of losing his, his sanity, chases Tom Holland into his dressing room and starts like giving him lines in the movie. And Tom Holland's kind of like confused, like, uh, are we like auditioning right now or something? And he gets kind of like have really awkward comedic moments between the actors. And I think that could be really fun. And he could really get a crazy performance out of Nick Cage from all these different roles. And by the end of the film, we, the movie's released and the audiences all love it. They say, Oh, it brought back our favorite characters and it reminded us so much of the original. You get kind of these, you don't see the movie itself. All you kind of see is like the people reacting and kind of like the crowd afterwards talking about it. So you're, you don't know exactly how the movie turned out, but all you can see is like how people felt about it. And you hear, you hear like, oh, they liked it so much and they were so happy about it. And then you get like a final scene where Charlie's given an interview and he's kind of talking about like, oh, all the sequels he's going to make and the franchise potential of The Outsiders. And you get kind of this ending note of, sure, he had success, but kind of at a cost, similar to the ending note of Adaptation while weaving in Outsiders, and in a way how Adaptation was this meta movie about adapting this impossible book. I wanted to make another meta movie about adapting an impossible remake in an era where everything's being remade. I think it could be a really fun movie for Spike Jones uh, and Charlie Kaufman to work on again. And Nick Cage, I think, would have a lot of fun kind of commenting on the state of Hollywood right now and how that, how that system kind of like ate him up and, chew, and threw him out as soon as he wasn't like relevant anymore and now he kind of seems to have this anti-blockbuster stance so it could be fun to see him in this kind of role commenting on that it could be a really fun continuation so i, I think it'll be that's not exactly an adaptation of the outsiders but you know that's kind of the point all right 
I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think this could be a pretty nice battle here. we got two very different movies and two movies I'd definitely be interested in watching. So can't wait to see how this goes. Um, I think I... Oh, Mike, I did have a question for Johnny. Johnny, when is your movie... Is it set in 1996 or is it like a 1996 movie but it's still set in like 1965 when the original it's, was it's, Yeah, it's still, it's still set like when The Outsiders came out. So they're like 60s gangster kids. Okay, that's all, that's all I had. You know, greasers. Yep. All right, uh, Johnny, you now have one minute to attack Tristan starting whenever you start talking. I While I love Adaptation, I think it's not a movie that really needs uh, a revisit, a, a sequel um, to it, even though I think that maybe that plays into Tristan's mocking of franchises that he's going for, but also I think it kind of hinders it in a way um, that maybe he didn't realize when he did a sequel to Adaptation. But also my, my biggest question is why... Um, is the sequel to Adaptation when Charlie Kaufman is this big successful... 30 seconds. Uh, ...you know, movie writer that immediately gets put on this project The Outsiders coming out in 2021, almost basically Nick, Nick Cage is 20 years older than he was. All of the characters that he's playing are 20 years older than he was in Adaptation. Um, and I think it was a mistake to have Nicolas Cage play the fictionalized version of Spike Jones when Spike Jones would do a phenomenal job as himself in that role. I mean, we've Five seen seconds. him have fun in cameos and in things before. And I think, uh, I think that it's something that hinders you. And just like your last movie takes away from like the Nicholas cage being himself and, and his brother and just distracts you that he's also playing spike Jones. All right, Tristan, uh, you have a minute to attack Johnny starting when you start talking. I think Nick cage's spike Jones adds to the fun and it leads into the joke of, the, the fact that he's playing Charlie Kaufman, who's an actual person who's actually involved in the movie, and then you get the, a, an appearance, like a small cameo from the director, and oh, it's actually played by Nick Cage also in this very different performance. I think that could be very fun. And I think I, I didn't even get into my my rule usage of a Superman reference because I think I wanted to have this pestering thing where Charlie Kaufman, who's this art house indie kind of writer who wants to make these more abstract, interesting films is kind of constantly being pestered by the studio to make a Superman movie. They're always asking him, so what about the Superman project you want to make? And he doesn't have any interest, but I wanted to kind of comment on like these, these long time studio directors, these classic Hollywood directors who their only way they can get work is by working within franchises and how frustrating that can be for them. And I think that could be a fun way to lean into this. Like Charlie Kaufman's this art house guy who's then being asked to make a Superman movies all the time and he's okay well you can make a your own movie but it's got to be an adaptation of the outsiders and yeah I think the fact that adaptation doesn't need a sequel adds to my movie it's like why are you making a sequel adaptation but why are you remaking the outsiders you know I think that leads into the theme so I like my movie a lot and I think it's very meta and very fun and I think it's something all of these writers and directors and actors would have a lot of fun making it and really would enjoy to do that's been a long five seconds uh Johnny, you I get, get the same thing. Yeah, it's okay. You get two minutes to attack or defend, uh, starting when you start talking. Yeah, my uh, I I think Tristan's movie is a great idea, but I think it could have some tweaks to make it a great pitch, which I don't know if necessarily it is. I think what would be a great story for his film is if Charlie Kaufman had this passion project to make The Outsiders, and he thinks he can do a better job than the original, and he he can outshine what's already been done but the studio wants him to make a Superman film and won't fund his Outsiders film unless he agrees to do Superman and he doesn't want to do this big franchise film. And I think that would work better as what Adaptation showed, and I think it would do better as like 
the successful Charlie Kaufman not wanting to make a big budget movie, but having this passion project of maybe he wants to make like a weird, you know, musical of the outsiders that studios don't want a green light. And he's obsessed with writing that while the studio is trying to force him to write Superman. And I think that would be a better story for what we've seen from adaptation, what we saw of the characters. And I didn't get that from your pitch. It sounds just more like a little bit of a hodgepodge of ideas kind of thrown together without having a, you know, a, a straightforward plot point, um, which which you still get in adaptation, even though it has obscurity, you get point A to point B to point C um, in, in specific orders. And if I was going to get a sequel to it, I want the successfully successful Charlie Kaufman that wants to be able to make anything that he wants, but studios are forcing him to make, you know, a big superhero film because that's all that makes money. And I think you could have done that, and and I didn't get that from your from your pitch. And then also, Nicolas Cage, whether you de-age him or not, is still 20 years older than he was at the time, and you're basing seconds. it off of him being big off the movie that he put out in 2002 and then immediately gets put on this project of doing The Outsiders. I mean, I never said that it takes place immediately after the last movie. Like, this is contemporary movie. Right, are, we, are we at the now. free-for-all now, or what are we doing here? Oh, uh, we can just go to the free for all. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Tristan started. Right, you had like two I just seconds left, so it was fine. Uh, so Tristan, the one thing I do want to hear though is I want to hear some attack before we get to the free for all, or when when we're, during the free for all, I want to hear some attacks on Johnny's pitch. Uh, I haven't really got any so far, and it starts when you start talking or somebody. Tristan hasn't what? done his two minutes. I don't think. Oh no. Right. right. I did no. mine. Just All right, now. that is right. Tristan that is right, Tristan. So that's, why, that's why he hasn't really talked about. It. Yeah, you get your two minutes starting when you start talking, and I want to hear some attacks on Johnny's as well as any defenses you might have starting when you start talking. Look, I think as per this whole episode, Johnny's playing it very safe and just doing these very direct adaptations of the things we've already seen. And like, you don't have. There's no reason to do the Outsiders again. We've already gotten perfect version of the Outsiders, and like, sure you added in oh the fact that it's his vampires is somewhat different, but. Like, it, it, it just feels like you're throwing something into the Outsiders versus making it a no thing. And mine feels like a much more different, much more new thing. And, like, I just, I think mine feels like a much more fun, enjoyable role for Nick Cage. Like, sure, he's playing a vampire in yours, and that could be fun, I guess, because it's Nick Cage and he's playing the vampire. But, like, he, he came out in 1996. I think that's very early in his career. I don't think it's at a point where he's having enough fun where he'd be able to really lead into that vampire performance and... I think in a contemporary Nick Cage could have a lot more fun in my movie. He's playing these roles he's previously played with Char- the Charlie Kaufman and David Kaufman roles, so I think he'd fall right back into it. And the themes of adaptation have only become more and more relevant. And he wanted you, Johnny said, "Oh, Tristan had a thing where One Kaufman minute. wanted to make a passion project, but it was held back by the studio. Then it would be good." And that's exactly what this movie is about. Like it's about he he's trying to bring passion to the studio production. He's saying, "Well, if I'm going to make an Outsiders remake, I guess I'll." I got to make it my own. I got to really make it as much as I can my own. And throughout the whole process, he just can't. He's met by these roadblocks constantly, whether it's a studio, whether it's his own mental un- insanity. He's constantly met by these roadblocks that stop him from making the outsiders movie he wants to make. And then by the end, you realize it was a studio 30 movie seconds. that had all this member berry stuff and wasn't necessarily what he wanted to make potentially. So I think, yeah, I mean, mine sounds like it has the themes of adaptation and you you lead into the title of outsiders because they're like oh we want like outsider perspective they want to bring in like these indie arty directors but not really you know they just want to put the name on the poster and then that's pretty much it so i think you have the idea that the outsiders are not just the book five seconds the outsiders but it's just charlie kaufman himself the outsider trying to come in and 
and make it in Hollywood still, even though he's an, an established artsy director, he's still trying to make it. And I think that's part of the theme of the book or theme of the, the movie I'm making. And I think Sir Johnny kind of feels like the original with the all vampire. Right, the only different. Five seconds. Um, free for all. Uh, whoever starts talking first, the two minutes will start. Yeah, I'll start. The, um, the thing with mine is you can still look at it and say it's the Outsiders. It resembles the Outsiders. It's set in 1965. It has greasers. It has the socials. Um, and it has and more of a theme of being the Outsiders. The, the actual, like from reading the, the plot of the film, it doesn't really make sense for, for the title. Um, mine's going to be three kids that are supposed to be in this gang, but then all of a sudden they're in the library reading old ancient Latin so they can communicate with their weird friend that they just made. And then all the, you know, gang members are going to make fun of them, call them nerds and like, they don't fit. So it's outsiders while they're still in this gang, but they made a new friend and they visited a new part of life. Yours, while it references the outsiders is not, not any way, shape or form an outsiders movie. It's just adaptation to, you can sub out the outsiders with, a million different films and it still is the same movie. I don't think yours embraced the actual outsiders enough. I think you could have done a better job of making it surrounded by that and having that involved in the story. Yeah. You're going to see scenes from it probably with them shooting it and him coming in and, you know, uh, one minute interacting with them. But I don't, I don't necessarily see that as an outsider's film more than I, just adaptation too. just like, National I don't Treasure need to make it. Ad- like this movie. is, I'm not trying to do it. Like, an outsiders like this is yeah, you're not trying outsiders to reboot outsiders which is the point of these pitches yeah it's called outsiders and it's the same exact logic they used when they were making adaptation like that i think this is a fun twist on it and i think if it, there's no reason to do another outsiders movie yours doesn't sound like outsiders at all it sounds like you have greasers and a vampire and you're like oh but they're in the gang so it's outsiders 30 seconds mine has the has the book the Sounds outsiders like Pride and, Prejudice movie. and zombies like it's you know we've seen classic tales with you know, throw in some vampires or throw in some zombies or throw in some, some aspect to it. I think that's yeah, the Yeah, we've seen it a hundred times, it. which is why it's not interesting. Mine's totally interesting. It's it nothing like, like this times. ever. And it, and it, I think it worked. Five seconds. Although, yeah. <laughs> I, mine's I mean, better. I think mine's more creative. Mine's better. Mine. Tristan sucks. All right, time's Nick up. Cage rules. Time's up. So uh, I originally thought this was going to be Tristan a Tristan doesn't suck. I take it back. I like that pitch. It was, I thought this was originally going to be a battle, and then it very quickly turned out not to be because one jumped leaps and bounds ahead of the other. Um, I, I'm just going to cut to it. Johnny talked so much about how Tristan's wasn't The Outsiders, but as someone who's read the book and seen the movie, you could have replaced the kids in his with any group of mo- movie or show uh, with kids like Stranger Things or whatever, and there wouldn't have been much difference. It really didn't have anything to do with The Outsiders either. Um so you take that out. So, I mean, you both kind of neither have anything to do with the outsiders, but at least Tristan like somewhat admits that his has nothing to do with the outsiders. Uh, I both, I think you both relatively used your rules. Well, as far as the Nicholas Cage appearance, um, I like the Superman reference, uh, for both of you. And, uh, but ultimately, yeah, I think, uh, Tristan kind of ran away with this one. And uh, while Johnny's movie is interesting, if I were, if you were playing both of these movies next to each other, which one am I more interested in? And it would have to be uh, Tristan's. Uh, I'm a big fan of movies about the making of movies, and even though it's like a fictional making of a movie, uh, it's definitely something. Having having seen Vampires Kiss and Adaptation, those films aren't even in the same stratosphere. As good as Adaptation is, I want to see Nick Cage play a fucking vampire again, which is why I'm excited for him to be 
I think Dracula, or at least a vampire yeah, yeah. in an upcoming film. But also, oh, I was yeah. going to bring. This up. I should have focused more on his performance. That's the main reason. I, I'd love to see and the one thing ancient I... old times, basically what we do in the shadows version of Nick Cage becoming, t- learning how to be like a teenage greaser. I think would be more fun than seeing mm-hmm. a reprisal of Charlie Kaufman. And the one thing I will say is I think the difference between uh, Tristan last round of Nicolas Cage in the different roles and then Nicolas Cage as Spike Jones in this is I think Spike Jones, knowing he's the director and like his ability as a director, I feel like it would be way more impactful and way more comedic to see Nicolas Cage as Spike Jones than just three Nicolas Cages in a Bryce Dallas Howard movie. And I think that was kind of the difference here. I think I think, I if, think Spike Jones is so funny that he. I would love to see him interacting yeah. as Spike Jones with Nick Cage, though. Yeah. That was the one. Thing. It was like to it me, was that hard was like... to fight against Tristan's pitch. I had to kind of say things that I maybe necessarily didn't believe. But my one thing that I stand fully behind is that Spike Jones should have been playing himself. I think that would be more fun. But his yeah. pitch was really good. I, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I, it was like one of those 50-50 ones where I think you win either way with Nicolas Cage as Spike Jones or just Spike Jones as himself, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or Charlie Kaufman as Spike Jones would be yeah. fun, too. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would have been funny. All right, yeah. so yeah, we wind up 2-1. to one. Uh, I'll go around, and I'll just say I think clearly, I mean, obviously it won, but my favorite pitch of Tristan's was The Outsider's. And then I think my favorite pitch of Johnny's was uh, Prophecy. And if I had to say pitch of the night, weirdly enough, even though it lost, I think maybe pitch, or well, he lost, but uh, my pitch of the night is probably Tristan's Outsider's pitch. That was definitely like interesting and uh, is one of those things where we were texting in the group chat before. I was basically like, with the Outsiders and Princess Diaries, they're both based on other things we have. Um, we have, you know, if you want to, if you're a fan of what it's based on and you want to see a good, uh, adaptation, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, you have a good movie for each of those. So like, feel free to get weird. And I feel like I was perfectly adequate with him being like, Hey, we have a good outsiders movie. I don't need to make another good outsiders movie. I'll make something else. And I think it worked well. Would have been nice that Logic is out of the Princess Diaries when Johnny you lost, said, oh, you lost Princess on, Diaries, but again. You lost that was a terrible Prince director of, choice. Yeah. If you if picked you a had good a, director, that, had, that would have been a tougher fight. If you had picked someone who I think could have handled the comedic ability of or someone who I feel like could have handled and done that well of the three Nicolas Cages, I think you would have won. But I was just sitting here. I'm like, okay, you've sold me on it. And then I remembered your director was Bryce Dallas Howard. And I'm like, I'm not sold on her doing that, though. And so that's If what Tristan had picked... Um, uh, what uh, Jake Kasdan, who did Jumanji, it would have made a little more sense with yeah. the rest of yeah. his pitch. I, think, I, I, I think... don't think Bryce Dallas Howard was a good fit at all. Yeah, I, I Even think... Ron Howard was a bad fit. Yeah, I think Bryce Dallas Howard, if this if it was like a straight up movie and it wasn't like the three Nicolas Cages, I would have been 100% on board with Bryce Dallas Howard doing it. But I think it was just the combo of the three Nicolas Cages and Bryce Dallas Howard that I wasn't sold on. And then, the, uh, yeah, it would have been much more dramatic. Prophecy was very close. Prophecy was very close. Second, come down to The Princess Diaries, but yeah. it, uh, it, you know, it made for maybe not the quite quite the ending that we would would have liked. Yeah. All right. How how are we guys feeling about this format? Uh, you know, is that something we're going to keep doing? Probably. I like it. I think it leads to a lot yeah, of interesting like, pitches, like whether story. I lose or not. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyone have any final thoughts before we sign off? Jack My Smith. final thoughts are: I do, 
I, I do kind of feel bad about winning here because I feel like I not cheated, but maybe didn't go as far as like what I could have done with Nicholas Cage by doing the Superman reference as my rule for all three. I don't think Tristan used them well, but I think Tristan was very ambitious to do the famous Nicholas Cage character appearing That's... in three films. All right, so uh, before we go, I was bouncing. I didn't like fully flesh out my pitches, but I was bouncing around ideas of what I would have done for each of them. And uh, uh, for the outsider, the rule I would have used is I would have done the same thing Tristan did. I would have done a rule made famous by Nicolas Cage. And uh, for the outsiders, I haven't seen the movie. I've seen pictures of the movie, and I feel like I could make it work. Is his character from Valley Girl as one of the socials? Uh, would have been what I did. And then I, my rule I would have attached to it is the Superman reference because uh, the whole theme of the movie is about trying to be a good person. And I probably would have done something similar to Johnny of like the comics and like being inspired by Superman and all that. Princess Diaries, I would have had it be a prequel version of his character from Pig uh, comes in as a chef and he's kind of like this weird, odd chef. And like they're trying to teach her how to be prim and proper. And they're like, oh, we brought in this chef. Uh, you know, and she's got to be prim and proper while they make this meal, but they're not really as familiar with him as a chef. And it turns out he's kind of like this unprofessional, kind of weird, different guy. And uh, I would have, the rule I would have attached is I would have made that one my 1996 movie. And I think I would have cast Alicia Silverstone as my lead and probably done like, uh, uh, what's her face? Uh, um, she was the voice of Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the, Angela Lansbury as the queen. Mm. And uh, done that, and uh, the I would have switched it up by basically uh, making her Alicia Silverstone as like the lead, more of like the mean girl type instead of like the girl that gets bullied. She's the bully, and she finds out she's going to become a princess. So a lot of the movie is her like realizing that being a princess and doing all that, and like her becoming a better person. And then prophecy, I would have just done the. I didn't know what I would have done, but I'm like, okay, this is the movie I have three Nicolas Cages in, and I feel like Prophecy would have done the perfect movie for three random weird Nicolas Cage roles. Yeah, I, I, mine, I, to be honest here, I'm glad, I, I'm fine losing that last one on The Outsiders because I liked my original pitch better. I, I kind of landed on, I was going to have him run into a famous Cage character in this one and that be like the vampire and maybe it's like Cameron Poe or whatever else and he like makes friends with these kids or whatever but my original pitch was new york city is run by two gangs the socials and the greasers and the only man that can kind of stop them is big daddy from kick-ass mm -hmm. but i would have said it in 1996 so you would have gotten prime action star nick cage as basically batman fighting two gangs and I, and I thought that was like the perfect pitch and I really would have liked that one better than what I ended up doing. But I would have had to change my Princess Diaries pitch because then I would have, my rules would have been released in 1996 and include a Cage character and I couldn't do either of those to my Princess Diaries. So I decided to stick with what I thought was my stronger pitch, change the Outsiders up at the last minute. Um, actually changed it and then at the last minute made it a vampire movie out of nowhere because I thought that would just be fun. But yeah, I'm I'm okay losing that final one because Tristan had a strong pitch, and knowing that he, no matter what I did, probably would have beat me with that last pitch. I feel better about having yeah. to having to change it and keep my my winning pitch instead yeah. of deciding to change Princess Diaries. 
Yeah, you would have. I think you still. I mean, maybe you would have had something else in there that would have pushed it over the edge. But I think you still lose essentially for the same reason. Of you've changed it. It's no longer really the outsiders anymore, anyways. In Tristan's, I mean, his isn't at all. But you like a movie about people making a movie. Yeah. Even but, but, but at least like it, the, the thing is, I feel like in, you know. But I think the thing is that what I think is what what I okay. Here's what's bullshit about Tristan winning that pitch. I've pitched twice the same fucking pitch of the Flight of the Concords movie where they're trying to make some bullshit film and it's about the making of a movie and it's funny and it's a great pitch and I pitched it as a movie only I would like and I lost both times and Joe never fucking stepped in there and said, you know what I like? A movie about movies being made. Fuck you, Joe. That's some bullshit. I think, I think... You, you decide that now. Sure, but you didn't fucking have my back when I did that pitch twice and lost both times. I think the difference is though in the like the both of you changing the movies is Tristan like admits he's like yeah I'm changing my movie where yours is like mine's a an adaptation of The Outsiders but it's also like not where Tristan's. Why is it called The Outsiders? They're not outsiders. They're just two gangs. Because they're that. It's not because number one is not they about outsiders the of their gang because I don't <laughs> think so. The socials are like the big, the popular kids. They're like the athletes, the jocks. Where the greasers are like the outsiders, the outcasts of society. Like I think the main three kids of Pony Boy, Soda Pop, and whatever the older Patrick Swayze's character's name is. Like their dad's dead. The older brother is essentially raising his two younger brothers. Like they're yeah they're like the loser outcasts of society where the socials are like the big popular like jock kids they're not really like the only gangs. way to make a good movie about nineteen fifties gangs is to have Steven Spielberg direct it and have it be a musical I think that's how you got to do it you know Steven Spielberg outside his musical I I'd watch that I should have made mine a fucking musical I would have yeah, I would have lost but Tristan would have had a tougher time fighting I don't know it. I might have been into it all right any final thoughts from Nicholas Cage else? as a vampire singing a song would have been great. Any final thoughts? I'm I love Nick Cage. If you guys want to see us talk about more mm-hmm. Nick Cage, me and Johnny are talking about Nick Cage month to month on this very channel. So follow us here, whether it's Spotify, YouTube, Twitch, wherever you're at. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff coming out, whether it's these pitch episodes, whether it's us talking to me and Joe, Disney Plus episodes every week. You know, we have a lot of content out here. So if you guys like to hear us nerd out and argue, uh, we don't argue quite as much on the other shows. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you like us talking about movies, we're all here talking about movies all the time. So subscribe and follow us here. We'd love to have you. All right. And if you uh, have Disney Plus and you also want to know like what to watch on Disney Plus, you can watch our Disney Plus weekly review, which Johnny clearly does not watch because he would know that Nicolas Cage has signed on to a national uh, treasure Disney Plus television show continuation. That's uh, not a fucking trilogy though that's just that's a tv show that's bullshit. and he's gonna be in the background he's not even gonna be the lead there's like gonna be like yeah, a new young so, female lead so that's um, some bullshit that Haley i don't really know about no i don't remember who i think she's like some immigrant or something is like a character. <laughs> i think <laughs> she's just a fucking immigrant um i i'll for my plugs i'll second i'll second tristan's um uh plug for our nicholas cage podcast the unbearable podcast is Nicholas Cage's massive talent um which will be on this channel but also anyone who has letterboxd if you're watching this obscure movie show I'm assuming you have letterboxd it's my favorite social media app um you can follow me at jdupe2393 I try to throw out reviews uh try to watch as many movies as I can and literally like all the memes you've seen of people 
saying with Letterboxd, like as soon as the, the credits hit, you start doing, you start, you know, listing your movies. That's what I do on there. And I think uh, at least Tristan is the same way. So uh, follow us on Letterboxd at Movie Change Up as well. We're going to try to be more mm-hmm. active on there. We don't really have much of a following and haven't really done anything. So yeah, we, we don't have actually... much of a following, but we also haven't really tried. I'm also going to try to get more on TikTok. Uh, I watch uh, the uh, Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett, uh, you know, usually early in the morning. So I'm going to start doing uh, like first reaction reviews uh, on there. Hopefully that'll attract some attention. I was going to do it today, but forgot. So uh, without further ado... Uh, goodbye. Hey, thank you for watching the Movie Change Up podcast. We'd really appreciate if you liked, commented, subscribed, and shared us with anyone you think might be into what we're doing over here. Thank you. Have a nice day.